Welcome again, one and all. I'm Pastor Jay. Why don't we go ahead and pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for, just as Jim said, for Christmas. And may Christmas reign in our hearts day in, day out, week in, month out, year in, year out, Father. That we would not ever forget the joys of Christmas. And Lord, this morning now as we uh, are here to learn from your word, I pray that you would help us all. I pray for spirit-empowered speaking and also for spirit-empowered listening, hearing, Father, that we would know your word, we would know you because of knowing your word, you would draw us ever closer to you and your son through your word, through your Holy Spirit, that we would seek to diligently apply your word to every area, every aspect of our life, because as you tell us, it is all we need for life and godliness. We thank you and praise you and give you the glory, Lord. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when, I, when I was, uh, well, going way back, my acting days started early on as a, uh, as a youth. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I remember was, was I, I love doing plays. I grew up doing plays in the Bay Area. And... Um, and one of the plays that I got to do was I got to do a Christmas carol over in San Francisco at the American Conservatory Theater. And so I lived in Hayward. My parents would let me actually take the BART train as a junior hire literally every day for about two and a half months to go over to San Francisco and, and uh, get off at uh, Powell Street and walk up uh, um, Union Square to the, to the theater. <clears throat> and we did a Christmas carol. Well, the thing about doing plays, I, I love doing them so much that when I got to the end of a run of a show, I, I was like, uh, first I was like a basket case, the last performance. Uh, thankfully in A Christmas Carol, there was, I played one of the Cratchit kids. And there was this great scene where, where you know, he's, he's showing him um, uh, the, the ghost of Christmas uh, uh, future, takes Scrooge back, and, and there's a funeral scene for Tiny Tim. And of course the director wanted us as kids to be mournful, you know, and, 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 and of course, well, we get to the last, uh, I, I could always cry on cue kind of thing, so that always helped, you know, but we get to that scene on the last performance, and of course, I'm just bawling, you know, and they're like, whoa, man, that, he's like really, really, you know, taken with Tiny Tim's death, and it was, no, because the show was ending soon. That was our last performance. Of, ah, Tiny Tim, ah, you know, that kind of thing, and then sure enough, um, the, the play ends. And I'm just, you know, curtain call and I'm ah, because it's over. And I was sad. And I remember, I would remember like the day after, the day after a show closed, I just felt like down in the dumps, you know, just kind of gloomy. And, and well, th- there's some other things that, that caused me to feel that way too. When a vacation was over and we get to the last day of the vacation, we're actually driving home or, or, oh, this is a real sad one. The last day of fishing season. It just, it just bums me out. Christmas was no different for me. The, the day after Christmas was always just kind of a, it's just kind of a, huh, a, a letdown, right? Everything builds up and builds up and, and it's wonderful. And then the day after it's just done. It's just over. So I was 
so appreciating what Jim was saying up here just even a few minutes ago. Because for us as Christians, no, Christmas doesn't have to be over. It shouldn't be over. And I thought, well, here, this is perfect because we got the day after Christmas. Um, and so let's just carry it on, right? Ian, we're talking about songs and, and decided to put a Christmas song in there. We got our Advent candles all lit and we have our beautiful decorations. And it's, it's just the day after. So let the Christmas spirit reign on, okay? And, and as we do that, I, I thought, well, this would be kind of a, a, a fun time to do this message. We're, we're going to pick up this morning where the Christmas story traditionally ends. So with that, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse, well, 21 is where we're going to start. Okay, that's where we're going to kind of pick up. So <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. And we'll pick up in verse 21. Now, just to kind of set the stage and remind you in case you've forgotten, but Jesus has been born. The shepherds have made their way to Bethlehem to see the Christ child and to worship him. Well, actually, jumping back to Luke chapter 2, verse 20, we read this. The shepherds went back, meaning back to their fields, back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Told them, of course, by the angels. And, and this, is, this is where we usually boom, stop, right? And let, let, let's move on, and, and then we'll get into New Year's and the, all that stuff. But no, we're, we're going to continue and venture a little further. And as we do, I, I would ask you to maybe ponder a few things. Remember that Mary and Joseph have just given birth, Mary's done the the hardest part, of course, to the Messiah, Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. Just, Just stop and let that sink in for just a moment. I mean, what do you think that that was like? Not just the birth itself, which we know was seemingly kind of a strange situation, but knowing you were birthing God's very son, And do you think afterwards that maybe they might have even felt just a little, I don't know, overwhelmed at at, at what was going on? Maybe even to question some things like, okay, what happens next? I mean, really, think about it. How how do you care for the Messiah? I mean, does does he got to eat and drink something special? You know, I mean, how do you parent God's son? Is he going to be like the other children? Is he, you know, he going to run around and play? Is he going to scrape his knees? Is he going to bleed? I'm, am I going to have to discipline him? And and you know they might be thinking, okay, yeah, Lord, we get the big picture stuff about who he is going to be, and these things were of course told us by angels, these angelic visits both to Mary and Joseph. But 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 how do we get through this next week? In the weeks to come, <clears throat> you know, when God made it clear that uh, Julie and I, our family, were to return to Calvary Bible Church over a year ago, I, you know, Julie and I, I think you could say that there was a little overwhelm feeling there and, and, and asking ourselves, okay, 
uh, what happens next? You know, we got this big move to make. And, and once we made the move, what happens next? And, and we got to get going in ministry. And, and we understand these big picture ideas, you know, uh, of, of, of what God was doing. But we're also asking ourselves, and God, okay, how do we get through this next week? And, and what's going to happen next? And then next and next. And, and rest assured, when we were sitting on that precipice just about a year ago, we had no idea what God had in store. Absolutely none. And as always, we have, I pray, not leaned on our own understanding, have trusted the Lord with all our hearts and all our ways. I pray that we have acknowledged Him and and believe that He has and will continue to make our paths straight. And can I just say... um, on behalf of my wife and I, that right now even, we, we have just experienced such a peace and such a joy for where God has us and the blessing that it has been for us to be here at Calvary Bible and, and, and almost immediately to renew old friendships and then, of course, to begin making new ones We love this church. We love you as the congregation of this church. And we will just continue to trust in the sovereignty and the providence and promises of our Lord. Amen. That's for us all. That's for us all. So let's move into our text this morning. As we pick things up with Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, we understand that a major promise has been fulfilled that of God bringing the long-awaited Messiah into the world, but what now? What happens next for Mary and Joseph? Well, in other words, what is, we could ask, what does the future hold, both near and far, with the advent of the Christ child, the very first coming of the Savior of the world? What is the hope to come? And to answer this this morning, we will consider seven, seven signs of hope this morning. I always hate odd numbers, but but seven's a biblical number, so we'll go with it. Hope for God's people back then and hope for God's people today. And so we pick up again in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Now, normally I would have a stand for the reading of God's word, but this morning, just because the passage is sort of lengthy, we're going to jump right in and and have the text revealed to us as we go uh, verse by verse. So please look at verse 21. At this point, Jesus is just over a week old. Verse 21, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision... His name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, we have to remember the Old Testament law system was still in place here at this time. Jesus was to be circumcised eight days after his birth, according to the Mosaic law. We see that in Leviticus 12 and verse 3. Circumcision was also a part of God's covenant with Abraham, going back to Genesis 17, verse 12. In any case, it was presumably done by a priest there in Bethlehem. We also see that indeed they followed the angel's instructions for the child to be called, named Jesus, right? Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. And as the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, for he will save his people 
from their sins. I, I so appreciate the, the songs that we sing here at, at Calvary Bible. If you notice, there were at least, well, two of them specifically that I was keenly aware of where we're singing about sin. And, and, and we're singing about our, uh, oh, I can't remember the other lyrics, but our ruined life, right? That, that, those aren't necessarily popular things to sing about in, in some of your, your modern day or contemporary kind of Christian songs. But we need to sing about those things because it reminds us what we need to be saved from. The Lord is salvation. He will save the people from their sins. And notice too that this was told to both Mary and Joseph before Mary had even conceived this truth about Jesus, saving the people from their sins, demonstrating again the sovereignty, the providence of God in having his plan all laid out and then to share things with Mary and Joseph before they happened so that yes, they would marvel. And Mary would ponder in her heart and they would be amazed and they would trust God all the more as they saw everything happen just as he said and knowing then that they could trust him certainly for the future, both near and far. And, and friends, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't Christmas time be just a, a wonderful time of being reminded of God's promises and to look back and see how faithful he has been throughout even human history to do what he has promised to do and shouldn't that then serve to just build us up in the faith and be able to trust his promises for our future all the more look at verse 22 and when the days for their purification according to the law of moses were completed just pause there law of purification found in leviticus 12 verses 2 to 4 and verse 6 it was a period of 40 days where a woman was ceremonially unclean for having given birth. It was actually also the same for Joseph for having, we presume, being the one who delivered the baby and now being ceremonially uh, unclean. So, uh, yeah, they didn't have, you know, the cool rubber gloves and everything and, and, uh, and you know, the gowns and whatnot uh, uh, there for him. And after this time period and the appropriate sacrifices, then they were considered clean. And this was when Joseph and Mary made the trip from Bethlehem, where uh, in verse 22, it says, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. By the way, that's from Exodus 13 and verse 2. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the dedication of the firstborn to the Lord goes back to right before the Exodus when God killed all the firstborn Egyptian males, but spared the Jewish ones. Of course, if they had the, the blood over the doorpost, it is for this reason then that all firstborn Jewish males are to be set apart for the service of the Lord. However, God would want to use them. And this is what Joseph and Mary were doing by bringing Jesus to the temple there in Jerusalem. They were dedicating him unto service to the Lord. So Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus are about to arrive at the temple to present Jesus to the Lord when they meet someone. And this is our, our first out of the, the, the seven um, points of hope. And we'll call this Israel's hope. Israel's hope. Look at verse 25. 
And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So who was this man, Simeon, and why is this meeting important? Why is it significant? The text tells us right off the bat that he was a righteous and devout man. In other words, he had a right relationship with the Lord. He was saved by faith and in the promises of God. He believed the promises of God, like Abraham had believed the promises of God. And, and, and he was a man who put his faith into practice by even being here at this time, showing up, as we will see. Secondly, it says that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means to console. It means to comfort. It's the same Greek word when Jesus says that he will send us his Holy Spirit. We've had this word a lot, haven't we? Even in 1 Thessalonians. Parakaleo, to be our helper, our advocate, our intercessor, our comforter. So we could say that Simeon was indeed looking for the comforter of Israel. But why? Why? Why did Israel need a comforter, spiritually speaking? Well, why does anybody, anybody, because of sin, because of sin, Israel has been in an extended period of sin, especially idolatry. And and though God gives consequences to Israel, he also acts as her comforter when she repents. This is why we have passages like Isaiah chapter 40, verses one to two, that classic text, which says comfort. Oh, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Friend, Simeon was one who hadn't given up hope that the comforting Messiah was still to come, right? We're coming out of that 400 years of the intertestamental period. And you can imagine that during that time, that was something that people were losing, losing hope. But he was not one that had lost hope in any way, shape, or form. Next, we learn from the text that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now, Back then, during Old Covenant times, the Holy Spirit came upon Old Testament saints for very specific purposes. And and even for specific periods of time, which we will see here in just a sec. And then lastly, we see that God revealed to Simeon by way of the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he actually saw God's Messiah. You might say this was a very special blessing for Simeon. I mean, what an incredible blessing. Okay, so now Jesus and family are arriving at the temple. Who should they meet here but Simeon? Now look at verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. Let me just put in a parenthesis here. Uh, The spirit is directing him to come here on this particular day and time. Okay, He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, and he blessed God and said, 
Oh, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. I, I, I picture this scenario in my mind, and, and I don't know if this was the case, but, uh, you know, I think with our modern sensibilities, if you were holding your brand new baby, just, you know, now a couple months old, and uh, some strange man came running up to you and grabs your baby out of your arms, you might be like, whoa, what's going on? Maybe not, though. Maybe, maybe you know, there had been enough strange things happening with Mary and Joseph, miraculous things happening that they just took it in stride. But he grabs the baby, takes the baby in his arms, and then he, he's saying, praise you, Father. Bless you, God, for fulfilling your promise to me and allowing me to live long enough to witness the Messiah in the flesh. And he's holding him. He's holding him. And now we get to the other reason the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. For then he, he next delivers these prophetic words. Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. First Simeon acknowledges Jesus as being the one who would bring salvation from God he was, he was seeing salvation personified. This is God's fulfillment of, of multiple promises that he has made throughout the scriptures to, to save his people, to bring the Messiah to his people. And again, what would he save them from? Well, many of them actually believe from their enemies will be saved from other nations who at one time or another had uh, attacked them. Uh, held them captive, ruled over them, oppressed them. But what did the angel say to Joseph? And again, Matthew one twenty one: you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And who are the people that would be saved? Well, up to this point, the understanding would have been the nation of Israel, the Jews. Here's where this prophecy, though, starts to get interesting. And we call this, this is our second hope point, the Gentiles' hope. Look at verse 31. Which you, pointing back to God the Father, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is Simeon prophesying again. Who is the all peoples referring to? Verse 32 tells us a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. These two phrases are both referring back to salvation. So it's not just for the Jew. It's also for the Greek, the Gentile, the unbeliever, the one that was outside of the nation of Israel. And friends, like Simeon, you and I, too, we need to bless God for our salvation. Amen. Amen. We need to bless God that he has revealed to us our sinful natures and the consequences of our sins. And we should bless God that he has provided the needed anecdote to our sin, namely 
Jesus. And we need to bless God that Jesus was was born into this world as the God man to live the perfect life that you and I could never live. And we need to bless God that, that he would go to the cross in our place, that he would shed his blood for your forgiveness, my forgiveness. We need to to bless God that he resurrected unto eternal life three days later so that you and I would have the same promise of eternal life. And and friends, if you if you are sitting there and you you can't bless God for these things, it means you need to first believe these things. You need to repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and these truths that we have just spoken of. Put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus and what he did on the cross to secure your salvation and what he did in resurrecting from the grave to secure your eternal life. Well, this takes us to our point three of hope. Joseph and Mary's hope. Joseph and Mary's hope. Let us continue on with verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. This just continues on. You remember when Mary, they were there and the shepherd showed up and she was pondering these things in her heart and they're just, they're just blown away at what they are seeing and what they are hearing. And now it just continues on, right? And, and, and they are just amazed at what, what Simeon is saying about their son. <clears throat> How it must have been for them to hear such words of praise First, going back even to Elizabeth and Zacharias and then, and then their own visits by the angels and then the shepherds. And now, Simeon, because of their son. You know, it's one thing to, to hear good things about our kids from others after they have done them. But, but maybe another, when you hear of these incredible things that they are yet to do, right? I mean, we, we dream of what our kids will be what what they will do but we never know do we god's path for them and and it's good it's good that simeon gave them this good news it's good i think that he gave them this good news first because things actually turn a little ominous here in verse 34 this is our our fourth fourth aspect of hope hope through opposition hope Through opposition. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary his mother. Behold. This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He's saying this to Mary. Mary and Joseph have been amazed. We too should stand in awe and wonder and amazement at, 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 at all and who Jesus is. And now he says these prophetic words to her. And, and, and notice that this prophecy is that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And this harkens back to several Old and New Testament passages where the Messiah is referred to as a a building stone, even the chief cornerstone. Peter summarizes this in 1 Peter 2, verses 6 to 8. 
when he writes, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. We might interject and say that's the rise part. That's the rise part. He continues on, Peter does, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very corner stone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom, they were also appointed. Friends, that's the fall part. That's the fall part that Simeon is speaking of. He also prophesizes, Simeon does, that Jesus is appointed as a sign to be opposed. Now, a sign points out or directs us to something, right? I remember when I was a a kid, we used to go up to the North State, um, both uh, east and west of of Reading. I'd go up there to go fishing with my dad. And I always got excited when just outside of Reading, there was this giant billboard for the fly shop. And the fly shop was like like major fly fishing, you know, mecca, the, because you had fly fishing galore out there. And when I saw that sign, I started to get excited because I knew we were close. I knew we were close. I could feel that rod in my hand. Here we go. Right. Well, in this case, though, it's a sign that's not kind of necessarily uh, pointing to something uh, positive. It's a it's a little more in the negative sense, because this is a sign that he will be opposed. In other words, people will see the sign and they will actually Go the other direction. They will not want to follow it. People will see the sign and and, and turn away from it. They will even despise the sign. And then the third part of Simeon's prophecy about Jesus' earthly ministry gets very personal towards Mary. When he tells her that a sword will pierce Mary's own soul. Unfortunately, there will be a certain amount of suffering and pain and heartache and grief for Mary as she watches her son be opposed and even crucified. And then lastly, Simeon prophesies that in Jesus being opposed, this is to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed understood here in a negative context, meaning the thoughts that will be revealed are actually evil thoughts, thoughts that wicked people will have in their hearts about Jesus. Mary herself knew men's evil hearts were laid bare to God when she said, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 51, we call that that Magnificat, the, 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 the words that Mary is speaking, when she says, uh, he has done mighty deeds. This is when he was, she was visiting uh, Zacharias and, and Elizabeth. She says, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. So she understood this. Jesus would go on to say in Luke chapter 12 and verse 2, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Even where... Men's evil hearts are uh, are at the are, are are a part of that. Well, we make a little bit of a transition here. 
as we, as we leave Simeon and we get introduced to somebody new. As we continue in the text of Luke 2, we are introduced to another person who also praises God for the hope of the Messiah. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Now, here we have, friends, another righteous and devout follower of God. This is a prophetess now, one who prophesies by the name of Anna, who happens to be a widow. And and based on the information we have, we may presume that, that if she married at a normal age, then seven years into the marriage, she was widowed. Her husband died. And once this happened, she then devoted herself to temple service, even living at the temple. The woman is now 84. So if, if she married at the age of 16, seven years later, lost her husband, she has been in the Lord's service there in the temple for the last 61 years. That is a devout and righteous follower of the Lord. And and while Mary and Joseph are still there at the temple, they meet this woman, Anna. That would make sense. Verse 38, it says, At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This brings us to our next point of hope, the hope of redemption. The hope of redemption. Anna arrives. She knows exactly who Jesus is, which makes sense because she is a prophetess after all. In any case, she starts praising God, giving him thanks for sending the Messiah Jesus into the world. And like Simeon, she was also one who was looking for consolation here called the redemption of Jerusalem, which is saying the same thing as the redemption of Israel, as Jerusalem is representative of the nation as a whole, redemption being to redeem, to free or release from, to deliver. In this case, to free, release, deliver from the penalty of sin, to deliver from the consequences of sin. And this is what Anna was proclaiming, not just to Joseph and Mary, I love this part, but all people who were there at the temple. In other words, she's crying out to anyone who is in earshot or can hear her. Here he is. Here he is. Give thanks and praise to God for this is he, the Messiah, the one who will redeem Israel from her sins. Oh, here he is. Here he is. And know know that God's promises are being fulfilled and rejoice because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is among us. And praise you, O Father. Praise you, God. Bless your holy name. This is what's coming out of Anna. And what's important here is that Simeon and Anna are praising God for that future Hope of the Messiah. I mean, I mean, Jesus is a baby. And so, well, yeah, it's going to be a few years before he's able to actually, you know, do all the things uh, and the, what the prophecies have, have spoken of. Simeon is just feeling blessed that he got to see the child actually hold the Messiah in his arms, the future hope of Israel. And it's the same for Anna. 
And she is instrumental in affirming that this is the Messiah who in his time will redeem Israel. So now you not only have Simeon there, you got Anna there. And every, they're both telling everybody about Jesus being the Messiah. And again, this will start coming to fruition some 30 years later. And of course, on this side of the cross, for us, we know that he will not only redeem Israel, but all who put their faith in him, Jew and Gentile. And so what we see here, friends, is the promise of a Messiah fulfilled. Jesus has been born. In addition, we see this this near future hope of what Jesus will accomplish on the cross and with his resurrection, namely for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all who would believe in him. And and you you think if we just kind of left things here, it would be pretty awesome. Except we also might have kind of a, a, a limited understanding of what it means to be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. If that was just kind of all we were told about it, I mean, okay, yeah, we die and then what? Our soul goes to heaven and we spend the the rest of eternity is, well, I don't know, a disembodied spirit, you know, I'm up there or, or maybe I, I'm strumming the harp in the cloud kind of kind of deal and and, you know, if that's the case, then why all the effort by God to show Jesus is being bodily resurrected? I mean, why couldn't he just have remained a spirit if that's all we were meant to be? Because the hope doesn't end here with Jesus's first advent. And, and, and you have to first remember that part of the deal with Christ ascending back to the heavenly realm is that he would leave us the Holy Spirit, to indwell all who would put their faith in Him. And in this sense, He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. In fact, He told the disciples in the upper room in John 16 and verse 7, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, there's that paracoleto, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And of course, we understand that the abiding of the Holy Spirit was not just for the disciples, but for all who would trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This brings us to our point six hope. Hope point six. The hope for the future. The hope for the future. Now, of course, the great truth is that Christmas, as we've already said, doesn't have to end here because Jesus will have a second advent. And that was part of the point of our Christmas concert, right? The crown has come and then the crown will come again, as we sang in those last two songs at the concert about Jesus' return. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples back in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Familiar passage to most of you. He said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I sometimes will use this passage when I when I preach memorial services, and uh, and and if it's the if I'm using this passage, I will I will often share a 
a story that relates to this passage about an elderly woman who once stood up while her pastor was preaching this text and said, Pastor, I want you to read that scripture again from my Bible. Turned out her Bible had had translated dwelling places as mansions, as I'm sure some of your Bibles do as well. In any case, she continued, I've lived in old rundown houses all my life. And frankly, I'm not looking forward to just a dwelling place. I'm looking forward to my mansion. Are you looking forward to your mansion, friends? This is what we have to look forward to. And going back to Jesus' second advent, his return, what did the angel say to the disciples just after Jesus ascended back up to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 11? Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Oh, is that so? Well, let's see. Turn to Zechariah. Zechariah, Old Testament, right before Malachi. All right, Malachi is right there at the last book of the Old Testament. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 3. Zechariah 14, beginning in verse 3. In, in verses 1 and 2. Here, we see Jerusalem being overthrown for the last time before Jesus returns and unleashes God's wrath against Israel's enemies. Then in verse 3 of chapter 14, Zechariah, we read, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. Turn to Matthew 24. Just a little bit to the right there. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, we find ourselves in Passion Week. Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, talking to the disciples about his future return. Find verse 30. Verse 30. Where Jesus says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Then jump ahead to chapter 25, verse 31. 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. 
Amen? Turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. I couldn't believe it recently and listening to, I've been doing the Bible app too. And, uh, and you know, and I realized, man, we're at Revelation. We're almost there. We almost did it. Woohoo! Revelation 19, verse 11, verse 11, John is writing and he says, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed and in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Uh, That's you and I, folks. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Interesting, huh? All these just match and fit in just like this beautiful puzzle and we see indeed this, this grand return, this grand triumphant return, returning to, yes, wage war with his enemies and, and, and bring us, his saints, with him to rule and reign. And then, of course, yes, Jesus rules and reigns first for that thousand years on earth before the great white throne judgment where he casts Satan and hell and, and those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life into the lake of fire. Jesus then recreates the new heaven and the new earth with new Jerusalem as its capital. And then we all live in the eternal state forever and ever 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 and ever. These are God's continued promises through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and up till now, we have seen every other prophecy surrounding Jesus come true, friends. So there's really no reason to think that any future prophecy concerning Christ or His eternal kingdom will not come to pass. And this is what we bank on, isn't it? I mean, each and every day. And in fact, we, we will be talking more about this uh, the week after next as we return to 1 Thessalonians because we're coming into a, just a great and awesome, uh, the last part of chapter 4 and then into this, uh, this return of Christ. But here's the thing. Until the Lord returns, much can happen in the world and much can happen in our lives, Right? And as long as we have an earthly life, you will experience both the good and the bad. And you will experience the easy and the difficult, the healing and the hurt, the peace and the pain, the joy 
and the sorrow. Because the unfortunate truth is you and I will continue to live in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed bodies. And unfortunately, we will constantly battle that sin that, that is still in us. And we will be prone to doubt and fear and worry and jealousy and anger discontentment, covetousness, lust, idolatry, lying, you name it. You name the sin. And we may struggle with the fear of the unknown as we go through life with changes and transitions, even sicknesses and death. But we have to know and trust that God is providentially in control and will not only see his greater sovereign plan for the world come to fruition through the return of his son, but also in each and every aspect of your lives as well, and including the life of this church, Calvary Bible Church of Burbank. And one of my, one of my favorite verses, and I imagine it's probably some of yours as well, Romans 8.28, I hang my hat on this verse And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. And I have to ask you this morning, do you believe this truth? That God always has your best interests at heart, dear one. Always. That even the most difficult, extreme, traumatic, heart-wrenching, sorrowful of times will actually be worked out for your good, my good, and the glory of God. And again, this includes this church. This church. Another of my favorite verses that I alluded to back at the very beginning, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. It's an oldie and a goodie, right? For good reason. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. So yes, friends, life is difficult, isn't it? And, and, and the days of 2021 were no exception. I mean, whether you consider the political climate, groups becoming even seemingly more polarized, even economic uncertainty, societal woes that have included issues of race and gender and sex and men and women and abortion and education, even new variants. Then, of course, we've had our own difficulties in our local body of Calvary Bible. And yes, we understand that there is this awesome future hope of heaven and eternal life. But what about the hope in the here and now? I mean, can this, can this, this, this baby in the manger, can this little baby offer us that? This is our seventh and last point of hope. The hope of Christmas. The hope of Christmas. Indeed he can. Amen and amen. And let me give you just a, a few quick reasons why. I came across, these are from an article I came across called Real Darkness Requires Real Hope by uh, Peter Mead. 
And, and he offers this to us about the hope of Christmas. Number one, Jesus reveals God to us. That's part of the hope of Christmas. He didn't just come as a good example to us or to demonstrate how to live a good life. He came as something more, friends, much more. He came as Emmanuel. God with us. He came to show us God because he is God. And there is no way that we can fully understand what God is like. So he came all wrapped up in humanity. Jesus demonstrates the very character of God with all of God's attributes. And, and, and what do we see then? Do we see a distant, uncaring, killjoy full of rules and regulations? Or do we have an up-close, personal, loving God who, who wants to bring joy into your life and much peace and hope first through salvation but then by giving you his very spirit to always be with you everything shown to us in jesus is the personality and character of our all-loving gracious merciful father god he came to reveal god to us secondly in jesus God identifies with us. God identifies with us. Mead writes this, quote, When Jesus joined humanity at Bethlehem, he was deliberately identifying with us. He chose poor and insignificant parents, humble surroundings, even the darkest of times. He came to experience life with all its challenges, uncertainties, and disappointments. He knows what it's like to live in a world racked with disease, political turmoil, racial tension, and economic hardship. End quote. And friends, Jesus, he sympathizes with us. He has empathy towards us. He knows, he understands, even including our temptations towards sin. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And he prays and intercedes for us and he can do so because he's been here. And he can identify with us. And he will continue to do this even throughout 2022. Even until he returns. And then thirdly, lastly, Jesus came to join us to himself. He came to join us to himself. The whole point in him coming was to offer us forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, so that we could be eternally joined with him. Were it not for that, we would have no hope of, of, of being with him. That's the whole point of eternal life, right? It's not just that we have some great mansion, though that is the case. It's that we are with Christ. We are with him. For all eternity with our Savior. To worship and love and enjoy Him forever. And indeed we are the bride of Christ. He didn't just come human. He didn't become human temporarily. 33 years and then He's gone. Nowhere to be found. But rather He came to give Himself in marriage to us. 
Mead again writes, quote, God's great plan is for the ultimate and perfect marriage union of a rescued humanity with the only one who could rescue us, our creator. Jesus came into this world on a mission of hope, and it was a mission to create a marriage union, end quote. I mean, just think of the vows, right? The vows that, that we often say. And, and, and maybe think of Jesus saying these vows even to you. To promise to care for and encourage you. And to comfort and keep you. In plenty and in want. In sickness and in health. In joy and in sorrow. So friends, this morning... Praise and thank God for your salvation. Praise and thank Him for being a perfect and all-righteous God. Praise and thank Him for sending His, His perfect Son, Jesus, into the world to be that sacrifice for your sin. Praise Him that He reveals God to us. Praise Him that He, he identifies with us, praise him and thank him for for conquering sin and death and rising victoriously so that you and I may one day have complete victory over sin and death. Praise him that he joins himself to us in an eternal union with him. Praise him that no matter what we go through in this life, he will never leave us or forsake us. Twenty twenty one was an interesting year, wasn't it? Certainly a challenging one, a difficult one in the life of our church. But can I also say that there is no better time than the present to start looking ahead and moving forward and moving upward, upward. Beseeching God, friends, now in, a, in an optimistic way for what he has in store for us here at CBC in this next bit of near future, even 2022. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week when we, when we uh, have our Vision Sunday. So until then, let me just say to you one last time. At the end of this Christmas season, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we be overwhelmed. Maybe even in a way that Mary and Joseph were, or, or, or certainly as the scripture says, amazed. Amazed at who you are, who your son is. For all the reasons of Christmas and why he sent, why you sent your son into the world, Lord, to offer us forgiveness of sins, our salvation and, and eternal life. And not just that we get to live in some great, splendorous, glorious place, but we get to live there with you. We get to live there with you. And we give you all glory and all honor. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here this morning that needs to know Jesus as their Savior, as the Lord of their life, first and foremost, that they would even repent, even right now while I am praying, that they would pray a prayer seeking your forgiveness, trusting what Jesus did on the cross to accomplish that, and Lord, 
trusting and knowing that they too will have eternal life for having believed in your son. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your son. Thank you, Lord, for this Christmas. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.